face, the elect behold him His scepter is golden, he must have been out of slippery Cause death couldn't hold him The spotlight is on, today's icons In a thousand years, nobody will care, their light's gone But at that time, Christ will still shine bright He's not in the limelight, he is the limelight Criminal minded, you've been blinded Nothing for the body of Jesus, you won't find it We never lack spirit, letting you catch it Cause it's been accepted like most secular rap lyrics Plato is dead, Socrates is dead Let's, let's stand up if you can. Turn to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Mark, chapter 14. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you on page 851. We'd love for you to meet us there. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home. We'd love for you to have that. It's our gift to you here at the Brook. We want you to have God's Word because it really is what changes our lives. Page 851, the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 26 and following. I'm going to read that for us here. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, say that with me here, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but say this last part, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same, th- same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See? My betrayer is at hand. This is God's word. You may be seated, family. We come to the day, hours before Jesus' betrayal, as we walk through the book of Mark together. And we see Jesus battling in a garden called Gethsemane, preparing to follow through on his mission. You ever have a hard time following through on something that you knew was the right thing to do? 
You ever have a hard time doing what you knew what was best? If my math is correct, New Year's Day was 90 days ago, and I know many of you set resolutions. (laughs) You know where this is going. And if you're like me, my resolutions are usually pretty clearly the right thing to do. There are great ideas. And in that moment of sincerity, I make a decision that doesn't hold up in the mess. And so 90 days ago, many of us did that. It was hard to follow. As we think about what it means to follow Jesus, what, the way to follow him, to love him, to live for him, we know what God wants for our lives, but following through is a whole different story, isn't it? I know some of us here today are just exploring, figuring out what Christianity is all about. What I feel and what I believe. We want this place to be a safe place for you to investigate the claims of Jesus and the Christian faith. And I know there are others of us here who believe wholeheartedly. And we know that we know that we know that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead. And we know we want to live for him. We know living for him is best. And yet when we get out of bed, it's the hardest thing to do. Challenge and a true burden, truly stressful. But one thing that Jesus shows us here is to partially obey God is to not obey him at all. Because if we're partially obeying, that means we're partially not obeying and we're walking in disobedience. And what God wants us to do is say, hey, this is what I know you want from me, God. in three different very tangible ways. Yes, Jesus felt the temptation. Yes, he was burdened. Yes, there were times in his earthly ministry that people he loved and knew turned their back on him. His own siblings didn't believe in him. We knew there were times the disciples turned their back on him. We knew there were times the religious leaders wanted to kill him. Jesus had a hard life. But in this moment, in this garden we're going to talk about, Jesus felt the pressure the most. And he prays a prayer that you and I can resonate with for sure. You see, he realizes the cross is right there. He stands in its shadow. He knows it's approaching and he feels the weight of his mission, literally the weight of the world was on his shoulders. You and I have never felt that kind of weight, but we felt weight doing what we know God called us to do. And today we're going to take a page out of Jesus' book on obeying his Father's will. And we're going to learn a lesson from Peter on what not to do. Well, let's look here in verse 26. We're going to see that Peter steps on a spiritual landmine when it comes to following Jesus. kind of landmines you and I often step in if that's your desire to follow Jesus. After Jesus had the Lord's Supper, communion with them, they ate the bread, they drank of the wine, It says in verse 26 that they went out and sung a hymn. 
I love that Jesus was singing songs of praise with his disciples. Indeed, that's why we do it. That's how we express our worship to God. Jesus was there singing praises, and they went out to the Mount of Olives, a familiar place for them. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. Now this is, again, Jesus is a mood killer, you know. During dinner, they're about to have dinner, and Jesus says, hey, let me tell you something. One of you in this room will betray me. And you know, people just a spoon in the hand, his mouth open, like, what? And one will betray, but Jesus is like, hey, but, but you're not all off the hook. One will betray, but all will fall away. All of you will run from me. And he goes on to say, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I raise up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus is saying, hey, it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. I'm going to be struck. You guys are going to run away. I am the shepherd. You are the sheep. When I go down, you're going to flee. And, and if you're like me and we're like Peter, we're thinking, but Jesus, we're ready to die for you. We're going to go down for you. We're going to live for you no matter what. And that's what Peter says here in verse 29. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, throws them under the bus, you see that? Although those, those, those ten over there, Judas was gone already. Those other guys, though they fall away, I'm never going to do it. I will not. Jesus said to him, I truly I tell you, this very night, <laughs> before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And just if you're hard on Peter, look at the rest. And they all said the same. The disciples were confident they wouldn't betray Jesus. They wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't turn away from him. You know, it's interesting how Peter here is so sure of himself. says, I'm ready to die with you. Though they fall away, I will not do that. Peter was quite sure that his faith was strong enough when temptation was coming his way. And what we see is that Peter wants to obey Jesus. He wants to follow him like many of us want to. We want to do God's will for our life. We know what he wants. We say, that's best. I know it. I'm going to follow you no matter what. But sometimes we say it like Peter does, either ignorantly or arrogantly. And that's where Peter was at. See, at best case is ignorance, but at worst case is arrogance. You know, for many of us, we, we look at Jesus and we say, Jesus, I know what's best, and I'm never going to fall away. But if we know our hearts, we know how frail we are. And sometimes in our ignorance, we, we have the best of intentions, and we're just not really aware. Sometimes we're not aware of how messed up we can be. Sometimes we're not aware of how intense the spiritual fight is, and we're going to see how intense it gets. And I know if you're like me, there's times where I've been ignorant. I've, I've said, I've made promises to God in, in a moment of strength, unaware of the fact that weakness was around the corner. And then Peter could have been arrogant. Like, no, no, I know this battle, but I got this. I got this. I remember in high school, one of my mentors, he, he told me, he says, you know, I don't ever want to say I'm never going to fall. And I'm like, what? No, man, Jesus got me. I'm not going to fall like that. And he told me, he said, no, because when you start being confident like that, there's a lot of arrogance that comes in. And you start becoming self-confident, not God-confident. You're unaware of your own brokenness, your own frailty, your own weaknesses. And so Peter says, I will never fall away. But Peter is either ignorant or arrogant. He underestimates the intensity of temptation. See, Jesus is about to experience it in the garden 
of Gethsemane. But Peter doesn't have an idea of what's going to be like. You know, when I, when I study the Bible, um, I, I have this, 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 this kind of zeal where I said, God, I, I want to go all out. You ever been like that? Just, God, I want, I want to be sold out for you. And that's the right thing. That's the right desire. So don't, don't mishear me here. But we've got to, at the same time, embrace that position with saying, but God, I know I need you to hold me up. See, when we underestimate the intensity of temptation and overestimate our strength, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. You know, when I look at the Bible, I see mighty men and women of faith (laughs) far stronger than Eric Rivera hit the floor in the worst of ways. And in some ways, it caused me to shake a little of my boots, you know. I realized, man, God, as strong as I want to be in my faith, am I as strong as King David, who wrote the book of Psalms, whose writings I memorized for strength, who fell on his faith in the worst of ways? Or how about Peter, who walked with you for three and a half years? Jesus, I have a hard time walking with you for a day. And in a moment of temptation, as we'll see next week, he falls on his face. You see, when we overestimate our strength and underestimate the temptation, falling is near. And Jesus sees that. He sees that. He sees Peter's zeal. And I think a lot of us love Peter because he says what's on his mind. He thinks like we think. But sometimes it's just not the best thing. And what I want you to do is let the Lord give you a sober picture of you. Say, God, I love you. I want to live for you. But God, I know I am weak. And that's the kind of humility that seems to be lacking from Peter and the rest of the disciples here. Even though they fall away, I will not. I will not. We can look to other people who've fallen. And again, when we're arrogant, we can say, man, how could they do that? How dare they fall? How dare they love Jesus this week and next week do what they just did? When in reality, we're, we're in our own hearts, we're walking that same path. You see, what God wants us to do is say, God, I know I need you just as much as they need you. When my brother, my sister falls, i got to help them get back up, not stand in judgment, but I need you, God. And Peter is here, and he and the disciples saying, we're not going to fall away. And Jesus sobers him up like that. He says, Jesus, before this day is over. Not next week, not next year, not 10 years from now. Before this 24-hour period is up, you will have denied me not once, not twice, but three times. I'm sure that did a number on Peter. But he says in verse 31 emphatically, Jesus, no, you got it wrong. I will not fall away. Spiritual pride is dangerous. It's dangerous. Flee from it if it comes your way. Pride, as they say, always comes before the fall. You know, this past week, um, a great record was broken in women's college basketball. The, the University of Connecticut women's basketball team had won 111 straight basketball games. I mean, that's even inconceivable. They went two seasons without losing a game. I think three straight championships. Yesterday, or two days ago, was the Final Four. And they were playing a team that when the last time they played them, they beat them by 60 points. And they played this team who had grit and was unwilling to get away. 
And sure enough, at the buzzer in overtime, they beat them. 111-game winning streak snapped like that. And the coach said, after the game in his interview, he says, maybe just we weren't mature enough for this, but we'll learn from it for next time. And you know, when our spiritual pride comes to the surface, we've got to come to understanding that, man, it's a mark of immaturity, not maturity. To say, I'm strong, I'm not going to fall, that's not maturity. And we will fall. See, the test of our faith, though, really takes place when the temptation comes. Peter can say, I'm strong all I want when things are good, right? In that moment with Jesus in the garden, hey, I'm good. They're just saying a hymn. We just had the Lord's Supper. Things are great. But what happens when you get that bad news and that phone call? When the bank account is running thin, a sudden loss, sudden diagnosis, the unmet expectations, the unanswered prayers. Peter stepped on some landmines of, of arrogance, perhaps ignorance, but what I love, again, is God's patience with him and Jesus' example of what to do in those moments of weightiness and temptation. Verse 32, Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane. It was a garden that was there in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. See, Peter, James, and John were, were Jesus' closest friends, probably. And he took them with him at important moments of his life, these three disciples. And here they are in this garden of Gethsemane. Jesus tells them with transparency that he's greatly distressed and troubled. He goes on in verse 34, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Jesus tells him, Hey, can you hold on here and pray for me? I'm distressed. What I find so cool is how Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, in a moment of weakness, brings three brothers alongside of him to pray for him. And I know this is not the point of the passage, but man, this is a side application, undoubtedly. You're going to walk through your gardens of Gethsemane. You're going to have those days of great weightiness and burdens and temptation. And those are the days, men, that you need your brothers but you can't just expect them to show up out of nowhere. You've got to cultivate that in the process. Ladies, the same is true with your sisters. See, Jesus kept brothers close to him to support and strengthen him, to pray with him. And as we walk through life and its temptations and its challenges, you need brothers around you, men. Ladies, you need sisters around you. Don't be a part of a kind of faith that promotes isolation. That's the great danger of our digital age. And I know I'm getting a bit of a soapbox here, but hear me now. When we think that we can be, get fed digitally and not need community. It's great that sermons are online. It's great that some preachers are on TV. Other ones have no business on TV. It's great that there are resources out there. Those will not replace community. They just can't. They cannot do it. You need people around you. Flee from isolation into the arms of the local church. And I just even plea with you here on Sundays. This is part of why we get together. We're not doing this just to fill up your your day off. We're doing this because we need this. I need this. You need this. And yes, 
Those same brothers, men that you trust, and ladies, those same sisters you are leaning on, they will fall down and sometimes fail you. Jesus is about to experience that in the worst of ways when he needed them the most. But, but notice, he stays with them even in the long run. And to this day, we stand on the teachings of Peter and James and John and they're because Jesus didn't quit on them. We can't quit on our community no, no more than Jesus quit on his. And so I just want you to hear that, family, because we can't do this on our own. So use your dinner table as a place for reaching people and a place for being fed with other brothers and sisters. Let them sharpen you like iron does iron. Let there be a mutual encouragement over a cup of coffee. Man, I know those are good times for me when I have those opportunities. Make it happen. Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells his disciples he's distressed. He says, my soul is very sorrowful. And I'm just hearing Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And Jesus is downcast in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's there with his disciples. And and, and if you're like me, I was wrestling this week. What does it mean for Jesus to be greatly distressed and troubled and sorrowful to the point of death? What does that mean for God himself to feel that kind of weight. I mean, is Jesus stressed out? Is he not trusting God? Well, that's not possible. Jesus is perfect. He's always trusting his Father. Uh, what we're seeing is a, a, the human, the humanity of Jesus just blaring through his, 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 his union of being God and man. And we're just seeing Jesus being truly man, wrestling, knowing what's in front of him. He's in anguish. The book of Luke says at this point, Jesus starts to sweat drops of blood. And that is truly a medical condition where there's an anxiety that comes so much that your sweat begins to, to, the blood starts coming out of your pores. Jesus was there in this garden, greatly distressed in anguish. I know there's times you're feeling the weight. And maybe not to the point of blood, but you know you've been downtrodden. You're distressed. You are in anguish. And sometimes it's because you know what God wants you to do and you're having a hard time following through with it. Jesus is in the garden. And he there tells his disciples to keep watch, keep their eyes open, be alert, and in doing so to pray while being alert. Verse 35, and going a little further, he fell on the ground. Jesus was brought to his face and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And this is what Jesus prayed. Hear his words. Abba, Father. The word Abba is an intimate word expressing a closeness of connection. Abba, Father, Daddy. All things are possible for you. Jesus knows this. He's got good theology. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. See, what the cup Jesus is referring to is the cup of suffering he's about to undergo. He he knows his hour has come. He knows, as he said in Mark 10, that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. He knows he's got to give his life now. He's feeling the weight of it. What was the weight of the suffering that he felt? Yes, he was going to be tortured here within a moment, a matter of hours. Beaten, whipped, a cat of nine tails. It's a whip with, 39, with, with 40 um, tails, I think it is, with shards of glass and metal at the ends. He was going to be whipped with it. 
He was going to wear a crown, but not a golden one, one of thorns. He knew these hands of his would be driven with nails by the very people he created. He knew his physical suffering was at hand, but I don't think that's what was giving him his greatest angst. Yes, he would be suffering. Yes, he would even be abandoned by his friends. He told them, hey, I've been living life with you for three and a half years, but when they strike me, you're going to leave me. That's part of the cup of his suffering. It's the physical anguish. It's the friendships leaving him. But when we start digging deeper, we see there's more. Jesus on that cross would bear our sin. He would take your sin on his shoulders. The Bible says that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus would take your sin. The sinless one would carry your sin. Let that soak in. The sinless one would carry your mess. You're lying. You're cheating. You're greed. You're lust. You're stealing. You're arrogance. All of that from me too. On the perfect one. It was the weight of the suffering, the weight of the abandonment, the weight of the sin. But this is what the cup was mostly. And this is what I believe caused Jesus his greatest anguish in the garden. That on that cross, with your sin, my sin, on his shoulders, the wrath of his very father will be poured on him. You and I have never known a moment of perfect harmony with our Heavenly Father. Because we've been so, we're we're sinful people. We've never experienced it in perfection. And Jesus has never not experienced it to this point. He has always, for all of eternity, been in perfect harmony with His Father. And He knows that on that cross, His Father will turn His back on Him. Not for a moment has He experienced that before. He would satisfy God's wrath. He would satisfy the death that you deserved, that I deserved. We don't know that anguish. And when Jesus is there in the garden, considering the cross, he's just there in anguish. Say, my God, I know. I know what's coming my way. And if it's possible, will you remove this cup from me? Jesus, they're vulnerable as anything. But what he does here, note this. He says, not my will. Father, your will be done. I love how that song that we sing says it. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Who's the wretch? How great the pain of searing loss The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. 
His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Church family, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was making war on your behalf. If he would have thrown in the towel at that moment, your redemption would not be secured and hell would be your and my destiny. No option out of it. But here Jesus took his will and handed it to the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. Verse 37, he came and found them sleeping. Peter, James, and John there, his prayer warriors, snoozing it out in his moment of greatest weakness. And Jesus says, Simon, doesn't call him Peter, he's not a rock right now. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour and pray that you may not enter? Or he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus calls out Peter because Peter was the vocal one. Jesus, I'll never fall away from you. I'll never trip and fall. Jesus is saying, your strength is forged in prayer. And by you not praying, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. You can't obey God's will without being saturated in prayer. Because if you try that, Peter, you're going to fall. So pray that you don't enter into temptation. And your temptation may be very different than Peter's. I don't know what yours is. It could be alcoholic consumption to the point of abuse. It could be sexual addiction. It could be greed and a hunger for money and you're never satisfied. It could be a simple thing. Like just like pride, arrogance. Maybe it's self-hate. I don't know what your temptation is. But what Jesus told Peter, he tells you, pray. Saturate yourself in prayer because you're not strong enough. Peter wasn't strong enough. King David wasn't strong enough. I'm not strong enough. Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I know sometimes I'm tempted to lean on my past successes. That past time I prayed. The past time I sought God. The past victories. And Jesus says you need your daily bread today. You need your daily bread Pray that you don't enter into temptation because the spirit is willing. You got all the good intentions, but your flesh is weak. Just like a New Year's Day. Sincerity in the moment won't stand in the midst of the mess of life. Well, Jesus is here. He talks to Peter, talks to James, talks to John, goes back, verse 39 saying the same words to his heavenly father, returns to them again, finds them sleeping again, does it a third time, verse 41, comes back and finds them sleeping. They're just not getting it. I know I don't always get it. And Jesus is patient with them. He says, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough, all right? The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It's time, Jesus says. It's done. He prayed it out. He was strengthened by his father. Now it's time for him to redeem us. Isn't it fascinating that in Jesus' moment where he felt the least peace was when he was the closest to the father's will there? He he, he felt the least peace in that garden 
but he was right where he was supposed to be. Don't always measure by peace. Sometimes we feel peace about things we shouldn't feel. Sometimes we just got to say, all right, God, I don't know what's supposed to be here. I'm going to pray it out and trust you and see how you lead me here one step at a time. That's what Jesus does. The table was set. He had the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Peter and the rest are there. The shepherd is about to be struck. The sheep are about to flee. Our redemption is about to be paid for. As we read this story, family, we learn about Jesus' obedience to his father. How he stood the course to his mission. He let nothing divert him off track. No temptation. In the same way, God has a plan for each of our lives. And there are many temptations our enemy would want to bring our way to divert us off course. And what Jesus does in that moment is he prays, he surrenders his will to the Father, and he walks and trusts him. And that's what he wants for us. Bring it before God. Surrender your will and say, God, I'm going to follow you through the temptations and letting nothing divert me off course. Well, here we are, church. So we consider this. Next week, we dive into the crucifixion of Jesus, leading us to Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. The tone is somber in this part of Mark. And sometimes it's good to let that tone set in a little bit. But I want to close with the last verse of that song I read for you. And this is what I want us to leave with. Where the writer says, I will not boast... In anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. In Gethsemane, he waged war. And at the cross, he defeated sin. And from that grave, he would defeat death. This is why we've got hope. And this is why I stand here preaching for you, even today. Let's pray for Emily. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that he followed through on obeying your will, God. Lord, we see Jesus here in the greatest moment of weakness, standing firm on your promises, standing firm on your will, and he does so through prayer. God, let us be men and women with prayer-saturated lives, God. Not thinking that we can do this by our own strength like Peter and the rest did. Help us remember, Lord, that we need you. We need you desperately, Lord. And Father, for those who are here today, who are getting a picture, a glimpse, God, of what Jesus has done for them, Lord, I pray that they would today see, Lord, that Jesus went to the cross for them, that he suffered for them, that he bore their sin and satisfied the Father's wrath for them, God, and help them see that through believing in Jesus and turning from their sin that they can be forgiven and have the gift of eternal life. So Lord, raise that up among us, we pray. Glorify yourself today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's rise to our feet, family. Prayer team, would you guys come up, please? As we sing here and get ready to close our service, let this song be a song of declaration, a song of praise.
Brothers and sisters, if you got something on your heart today, let us pray with you. If there's something maybe even here that I've been preaching about that you know you need to bring before God. Maybe it's a struggle, a fear, a concern. Let us pray with you and bring that before the throne of grace with you. So that's what our prayer team is here, here in the front and in the back. We want to pray with you. So let's sing to the Lord and give him glory for all he's done through Jesus.